How do you treat other people? How are you treating other people? Do you have categories of people? Do you have little compartmentalization of your people? I treat my family one way. I treat my friends another way. I treat my coworkers another way. I'm accepted in the fact that if I'm total strangers, I can treat however I want to. I mean, how is that playing out in your life? Because as a Christian, our lives should be the same regardless across the board. We should have a love that Christ is working in and through you to be poured out or fruit be to be plucked from your life on a daily basis wherever you are. That should be the result of your life. It may not be there yet. It may not be there now because the fruit hasn't been growing. But keep showing up and you'll eventually, as a, as a believer, you're going to bear fruit that God can pluck or the people can pluck from your life as you are living this life. Today we're going to see a living faith. A living faith that allows us to have the ability to assist others in their life in some form or fashion. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We must understand some of these foundational truths. And as we go through, I'll give you many scriptures for you to ponder on and meditate on. Because I want you to understand what it means to live a living, a, a, a living faith. One with power of the Holy Spirit living in through your life. We must understand faith is a key to doctrine in the Christian life. Apart from faith, you have nothing in regards to any of value or anything of eternal. The sinner is saved by faith. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You cannot be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. We also know the believer must walk by faith. You cannot walk this life and only by faith. We see that noted in 2 Corinthians 5.7. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We see that noted when we studied in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You cannot please God unless you live by faith. We also know whatever we do apart from faith is sin. Hello? Whatever we do apart from faith is sin. We know that in Romans chapter 14, verse four, uh, 23. Many have said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. Regardless of the consequence, we live by faith in pleasing God by understanding and applying and being obedient to what he tells us. That is what faith is. I'm going to obey regardless of the consequence. When we studied Hebrews 11, you and I met men and women who acted on God's word no matter what price they had to pay. They were going to do what God asked them to do. Faith is not some mystical, squishy kind of feeling and goosebump moments. 
That's something you have to work up every time you come together and go to church. Oh, I really hope the music's just right. And I really hope the, the lighting's just right because I really need to get my, the, my, my feelings and my... This is, that I just really need to get this going somehow today because I'm really flat. That is not the faith I'm talking about. James will talk about it today in our word. Faith is confidence that God's word is true. And conviction that's acting on that word will bring his blessing. What pleases God? Our confidence in his word. And the conviction of acting and willing to change as he leads us. Today we will see in the section of this letter, this epistle... James discuss the relationship between faith and works. A light topic. An easy topic. No big deal kind of a topic. But hang on. There's a reason why James, that the Holy Spirit told James to write these words down for the early church and for us today. This is an important topic because it's an important discussion for we are wrong and if we're wrong in this matter... We jeopardize our eternal salvation. That's how important this doctrine is. What kind of faith really saves a person is one of the questions that will be answered today by James. Is it necessary to perform good works in order to be saved? That will be answered today. How can a person tell whether or not he is exercising true saving faith? If I'm saved or not, that will be answered today in our scripture. James, the little half-brother of Jesus, answers these questions by explaining to us that there are three kinds of faith, only one of which is truly saving faith, a living faith, and we will see that today. In James chapter 2, we pick back up here in verse 14, he's going to demonstrate or describe A dead faith. We're going to see that in verses 14 through 17. Look at, look at this and follow along with me. What does it profit, my brethren? He's speaking to believers. He's not speaking to non-believers. He's speaking to believers here. He says, my brethren. He's treating them as a brother. You're, you're, you're claiming to have this faith. You claim to believe. What do you believe? Well, that's what he's saying here. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? It's a good question. It's two questions that he's given in verse 14. James thought it was impossible that someone could genuinely have saving faith with no works. But someone could say he has this faith but fail to show good works in their lives for having this kind of faith. So the question is valid. Can that kind of faith save him? If there's nothing demonstrated that he has this faith, it's just words coming out of his mouth. I'm a Christian. How many times have you met people who say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But there's nothing that demonstrates coming out of their lives that backs that up. It's just a word. 
Someone says he has faith but does not have works. See, James wrote to Christians from a Jewish background. Remember, this is the early church. Most of the people who were Christians by this time were Jewish, not Gentile. So he was dealing with some issues of this following Jesus by faith and coming out of a religion that was based upon works only. Did you do this today? Did you keep the Sabbath today? Did you follow the dietary rules today? Did you dress a certain way? It just went down the roots. And now these people have been freed from it. Now in the early church, now they're dealing with this pendulum swing you've always heard me talk about really ultra religiosity and now in in law based on the law now you're swung way over here now in in grace and the freedom and new covenant and now you like after six months to a year or so or three years or five years all of a sudden you're like oh I I feel like I need to go back because these people really are condemning and coming against me because I live in this freedom and liberty the law of liberty and not Oh, they want me to act in certain things and that's, oh, circumcision and there's all, they're struggling. James is saying, you've discovered the glory of the salvation by faith. You've discovered it. They knew that just an excitement of the freedom from works uh, righteousness, They were freed from this works righteousness. You're made right because you've done the works. And they've been freed from that. But now they're struggling how to find that balance with that. But then they went to the other extreme of thinking that works don't matter at all. That's the other side of the coin. That works righteousness and then the other side extreme is I don't have to do nothing for Jesus. Nothing for God. I can just live my life. I have liberty, man. I get to live however I want to. He'll accept me. Two extremes. But that's what James is asking and asking us today. Can faith save him? James did not contradict the Apostle Paul that many people try to say. Apostle Paul who insisted that we are saved not of works, Ephesians 2.9. James merely clarifies for you and for me the kind of faith that saves. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, but saving faith will have good works that accompany it. As the saying goes, faith alone saves, but The faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. See, Paul understood the necessity of works in providing the character of the faith that he was trying to describe to his readers there in Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As believers, as you've got, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone and his finished work on the cross and the fact that he's alive, this is what saves a man. This is what saves a woman. 
And then after you're saved, then he has good works. He's doing a workmanship in and through your life. He's got things already as a plan of your life. He has things for you to do for him. And if you're saved, you will do them. If you're saved, you can't help but desire to do them. Once you're saved, no one can stop you from doing them. If you're saved, mountains can be moved. Barriers and giants can be moved in your life for you to be able to do what God's called you to do. Whatever those good works are. See, he also wrote in Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain what? Your lifestyle? No. Good works. See, people who, with dead faith, will always substitute words for deeds. They're like self-driven works. And again, grace, because people will come in here who come from different backgrounds of of religion that it was always based on works and they're based on the law. And we just show grace and show grace until they grow and mature and realize God wants you to do things for him, not because you have to. You get to a point where you want to. You get to. That you're free to be able to serve him. So joyfully and with such peace and such joy, there's, it's not a burden. Because your Savior saved you. And out of that realization, you're like, Lord, what do you have for me today? What would you like me to do next for you today? The day you've given me. See, they know that the correct Christian vocabulary... Many do. Many people have the Christian vocabulary down. They can quote it better than you. They know the scripture better than you. They have it all, the do's and don'ts. And they've dialed it in. They've been raised in it. They've been around it long enough. They They just know how to pray or how to do testimonies. And they can even quote just the right Bible verse. But their walk does not measure up to their talk. Their lives do not reflect a one that knows things of God, does not apply according to the word of God. They think that their words are as good as works, and they are wrong. James gave a very simple illustration for us here in verses 15 through 17 of what he's talking about. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. See, 
He gives a very simple, practical thing. So how many times we get together, oh, brother and sister, oh, so it's good to see you. God bless you, brother. Oh, I hope you're doing well. No, things are not going well. I just lost everything. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll be praying for you. That's great. No, 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 don't get me wrong. That's great. Prayer is absolutely important. But God is asking you as he leads you and the spirit moves you and you are recognizing they have a need. They just lost everything. They have no clothes. They have no place to where they're going to live. They're in a hotel right now. And then you get to hear more story and God reveals more and more to you. We as a Christian are, should be compelled not to just say, I'll be praying for you. Oh, this is a tough place to be in. I'm glad I'm not there. I'll be praying for you. Be warmed and filled. No, 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 my brothers and sisters. As a born-again believers, you cannot stop yourself when you know that God is revealing to you there's a need. And I, and I want to clarify. The need, not a want. Oh, I get a lot of, Pastor, can you help me with a want? <laughs> I get a lot of wants from people I don't even know. They call. They send emails. I want. I need. I, there's never a need. No, no. No, no. We're talking someone has a need, a bodily, some very basic need, like clothing and food and like shelter. This, when God reveals it to you, if you're a mature Christian, you'll be compelled because you, you, more than likely God has already provided you the resources that you can help in this time of need. So not only are you saying, I'm going to be praying for you, be warmed and filled, but let me help you. Now, you may not give it to you personally. We, many times we get people, can you give this envelope to someone because I don't want them to know I'm helping, but I, in the time of fellowship, I heard there was a need. And we get those, and what a blessing it is to be able to, to be the courier and say, oh, this was given to you, this is your name, and they open it up, and it's exactly what they needed to meet their need. That's how God works, is in and through God's people in that way. How important it is, as they say, that if, you, if faith is the same way, you say you have a faith, but if you're not doing anything outside of yourself and you're not being stretched you're not being outside of that selfish I, I'm going to just go do what I want and get out of this thing no no it's literally giving of yourself of your time or your money or your energy or what you're just is not anything benefiting you it's just you just know God is asking you to do it that's what I'm talking about see to, to fail in the most simple good works toward a brother or sister in need demonstrates that one does not have this living faith, this dynamic faith. And we can only be saved by a living faith in Jesus Christ. See, real faith and the works that accompany it are not made up of only spiritual things, but also a concern for the most basic needs of other people. 
especially around comfort or coverings or, or, for, or for food. When needs arise, we should sometimes, yes, we, sometimes we need to find ourselves in praying less and doing more. Simply doing more to help a person in need. Because sometimes prayer becomes a substitute for the action that God wants you to take. It's an easy way out because you immediately calculate that's going to be really inconvenience for me. That's going to get in, it's going to, it's going to. I got plans, you know, barbecue, and I got this, I got this and this, and this person has needs, and I know I can help them. I got all the resources. I guess I could help them, but that would really mess up my game. (laughs) Guess what? More than likely, it is God wanting to mess up that game your party got played out. Because our lives are not about us. Our lives are about him and doing what he's called you to do in the relationship you have with him. That means you're invested in other people. God's people. See, as believers, we have an obligation to help meet the needs of people, no matter who they are. Where do we see that? Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Why do we gather together here and study the word of God together? Because God uses each other in our lives to help each other. Yes, I know, I know, you don't have needs. You've got it all together and everything's saying, as long as no one messes with you, you're going to keep everything in control. It's only a matter of time you're going to come unglued. Just let me know. Just stay, stick around because the person that you wouldn't help before is going to be the person that God will use more than likely to help you. Oh, how humbling that will be for you. Can't wait to hear those stories. I love those stories. Because you'll know. Because God will make sure it's clear to you. Matthew 25, 40. Jesus said, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Why do we serve? Because you have no idea if it's a stranger, it could be an angel. You don't know if it's going to be someone else. Either way, God is, Jesus is saying, how did, you, how did this all work? Jesus says, I surely say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. When you serve others, you're serving the Lord. That's why we do it. To help a person in need is an expression of love. You say you love Christ and you have the love of Christ in you, you will know that by how. By how that's expressed. How that has worked out in your life. Because we know in Galatians 5, 6, that in the expression of love, is faith works by love. Works is completed by love. See, even 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But whoever has this, these worldly goods, these world's goods, and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
That's a good question, isn't it? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I don't know about you, but it's pretty clear in the scripture. I've just given you six scriptures. I think it's pretty clear what God's expectation is of his children in regards to loving other people and helping to meet the needs as God leads you. I'm not saying that you have to go out unless the Lord's calling you to go out onto the streets and stop every person that walks by and says, do you have need? Do you have need? Do you have need? Do you have need? No, God is going to reveal these needs to you. You don't have to be stressed out about it. You just have to be open to it. That is the question. Are you a willing vessel? That's the question. And it's not about the amount, is it? It's not about how many times you walked her, the, someone across the street who had need. It's not how many times you delivered food to someone who... No, it is about just being obedient to what God shows you in that time. If it's one thing that God has created you for, one good work for his pleasure, praise the Lord. Here, where we see that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, is the first time James speaks of a death, dead faith. Faith alone saves us, yes, but it must be a living faith. We can tell if faith is alive by seeing if it is accompanied by good works in their lives. And if it does not have works, it is dead. There's no life in them. See, a living faith is a very simple, real life. A real faith. How do you know if you have faith? Well, it is faith that looks not to self, but to Jesus Christ now. Your mind, your mind is no longer all about you and what you get to go do and how you're going to live your life. It's not, that doesn't consume you anymore. What consumes you is worshiping Jesus and just being obedient to what he's called you to do. It is faith that agrees with God's word both inwardly and with words. Just because you say these godly things, but if your inward does not agree with them, you're just saying it because everyone's listening to you and you're just responding to someone who's kind of put you in a position to respond. If it doesn't match with the inward heart, then you're in trouble. If faith grounded in what Jesus did on the cross and by the empty tomb, the fact that he's risen and we celebrate this, if that is not what you believe, then you better be, your, your faith is dead. It is a faith that will naturally be expressed in repentance and good works. These are things that we must ponder on that we see in the scripture. That is no when you have a living faith. If you don't have those things, then you have a dead faith. If it's a faith that says more than just Lord, Lord. It is a faith that not only hears the word of God, but does it. We see that in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. See, it's important we must beware of mere intellectual faith. Because just an intellect or intelligent faith about things of God... Uh, 
that person has a dead faith. Because it's only based on the intellectual experience. I know, I know, I read, I've read, I know. That's all it is, it's a dead faith. Because it's just intellectual. It's in his mind. He knows the doctrines of salvation. He knows it. He can quote it better than anybody else. And all the scriptures attached to it. But he has never submitted himself to God and trusting Christ for salvation. Those are two different things. So a dead faith is someone who knows but has not applied, has not taken the step. He knows the right words, but he does not back up his words with his obedient works the Lord calls him to do for him. He's still, it's all about me. See, faith, is, faith in Christ brings life. We see that in John chapter 3, verse 16. And where there is life, there must be a changed life. There must be signs of growth. There must be fruit in one's life. You don't see those things. They have a faith. It's just a dead faith. No man can come to Jesus Christ by faith and remain the same. You will be changed. 1 John 5.12 He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Regardless of what you think. The scripture's true. I believe the word. So dead faith is not a saving faith. Dead faith is a counterfeit that lulls or bewitches people to think that this person into this false confidence of eternal life when they don't have it. And that's the scariest part about religion because it will lull people or give a self, uh, false confidence that they have eternal life because they did just works. They just did works because it made them feel better. But they didn't really put their trust in Jesus Christ and surrender their lives. They, they, just, they just followed the religion because the the religion told me so. No, you don't do anything because I tell you so. It's only you do what the word and what God tells you so. We only follow Jesus. He continues here in verse 18 and 19. We see another kind of a faith here, a living faith that cannot be separated from works. But look at what happens. James must have been really dealing with some difficult times in the church at this point because he's not, this is not sugarcoating, right? This is not a gentle conversation as you read this, his, his letter here because now he brings out even another type. Of, he's, he's calling out those who have a dead faith. You say you are following Jesus. You say you're saved. You're saved. Well, then show me the demonstration of that because you're doing nothing for God. You're, you're not doing anything. There's no, there's no fruit. There's no, I don't see any signs of anything you're doing. You're just occasionally showing up. But then he gets even more intense. Look at what the next group. But someone, but I love this word, but someone will say, there's always a someone in the crowd. What does this someone always say? You have faith and I have works. <laughs> you, can go, you can go by that very quick, but there's a, that's a loaded little, little, little statement right there. 
Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. Oh, he's, he's, he's just really cutting right to the... This is not sugarcoating it here. You believe that there is one God. You do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. Man, that's tough. Can you imagine if you're sitting there and saying, hey, I have faith. What are you saying I don't have faith? I've got faith. Now, you doing those works and doing all that stuff for God and you're giving and working and just doing all these things for God, that's, that's your faith. I, I demonstrate my faith a different way. I never talk about it. I don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> I don't do anything for God. I just live my life and try to do as, get everything I can get on my life and just live like I never, anything's changed. That's my faith. No, that's a dead faith. Matter of fact, I would call what you're describing demonic faith. Why? Because a dead faith relies on their intellect. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't tell me about Jesus. I know, I know, I know. Dead faith. But demonic faith is one with intelligence and emotions. But that's all it is. Lots of emotion. We see here, some might try to say that some have the gift of works and the others have the gift of faith. And it's fine for you to have your gift of works and that you care for the needy. That's so nice. That's very good of you. But it, that isn't my gift. James here says, that, that kind of faith? Can you explain to me the difference between your faith and the demonic faith? Because they certainly believe who Jesus Christ is. And they tremble. They tremble. To hear the name of Jesus. It's interesting. It shocks people to hear that demons have faith. Is that the first time you ever heard that? Some of you have never heard that demons have faith. We don't. That's in the scripture. But the question is, what do they believe? What do the demons believe? One thing, the demons believe in the sense that they acknowledge that God exists. They know God is real. They're not an atheist. They're not an agnostic. So those who say, I follow Satan, and I'm an agnostic, or I'm an atheist. Well, then you don't know the scripture. You don't understand who, even Satan and them know God exists. You're out there, man. I always love how people try to, I'm agnostic, or I'm an atheist. Like, that makes them smart or something. That actually just dis describes how dumb, foolish, as the scripture will say. But not only do they acknowledge that God exists, but it's, a, it's an existing of a knowledge that does not change their lives. It does not change what they believe. It's a kind of faith that does nothing for the demons. And that's what he's describing here. You're no different than the demons. They know God exists, but it hasn't changed their lives. 
You acknowledge there's a God, but it hasn't changed your lives. So what's to tell me? What's the difference between you and the demons? They also believe that the deity of Christ. But that didn't change their lives. We see that in Mark 3, verses 11 and 12. Whenever they meet that Jesus, when he was here on the earth, they bore witness of his sonship. So the demons even knew who he was. He was the deity. He was God in the flesh. He was the... Didn't change them. So you know who the deity of Christ is. You know who Christ is. But it hasn't changed your life. There's no demonstration of that change. So tell me. You just have a demonic faith just like they have. That's their faith. That's the same faith. Demons believe the existence a place of punishment. We see that in Luke 8, 31. They also recognize Jesus Christ as the judge, Mark 5, 1 through 13. They submit to the power of his word. Tell me, what makes you different than them? The man with dead faith was touched by his intellect. I know what I know. But that's all it is, is just knowledge. But no changed life. The demonic faith are touched by their intellect and emotions. They believed and they even trembled at the name of Jesus because they know that they will be punished. They will be locked away in the lake of fire. It's only a matter of time. But they were not willing to change. Then lastly, we see James comes in for the living faith, the dynamic faith, the one that he says, this is how you are to live, man. Don't act, don't live a faith that's dead. Don't live a faith that is dark. Don't be fooling yourself. Because if you're living a living of faith that is a dynamic life, you wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. You wouldn't be thinking the things you're doing, thinking and thinking it's okay. That it's okay to live a life that's contrary to the word of God. That would not be so. If you're convicted and you're wanting to change and God's doing a sovereign work in you, you're on track. But if you're doing things that are going against the word of God and you're contemplating and working things out in your life to go against God's word and think you're in right, your faith is good and right with God, you're, you're, you've been bewitched. So he describes here and he gives a really a beautiful living example here of a living faith, a dynamic faith. He says in verse 20 of chapter 2 of James, he says, but do you want to know? See, picture and I'm saying it to you. I just described a dead faith. I just described a demonic faith. And now I'm saying to everybody who's listening, but do you want to know? Oh, foolish man. Now he's talking, he's writing to people who are not having and living a, a, a life that reflects one that is truly saved. He says, oh, foolish man, that faith without works is dead, question mark. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? 
Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24. And you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now this is a really an interesting part of the scripture here. This is where people get a little squirrely around the talk and, and discussion around faith versus works. We see James calls out a foolish man, says, do you really want to hear? Do you really want to listen to me? Do you really want to understand what, I'm about, what I've been writing here? So James will now use the Old Testament to just demonstrate what he has already said about the character of a living faith. And why did he use the Old Testament? Because these were Jews that got saved. So he's going to use the Old Testament. Abraham himself from the Torah that they followed their whole lives. To get the point across that Abraham the father himself lived by faith. And he was accounted righteous by God. But what you must understand, and I need to understand, everyone needs to understand, is that once he had a right relationship with God based on faith, it wasn't until years later that God called him to sacrifice his son. Do you think Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son he had not had yet? No. But God knew when he called Abraham to, by faith, saved him, knew there was going to be a time when God was going to call him to demonstrate this faith that he had by sacrificing his son. Now, when you take a look at this, this, this living, dynamic faith, it is a real faith, a faith that has power, faith that has results in a changed life. To begin with, a living faith is based on the word of God. Abraham was going to do what he was about to do with his son, Isaac, based on God's word. Not his feelings. Not the world. No one called him to do it except God himself to do it. That's very important for you and I to understand that. We also know he, we receive our spiritual rebirth through God's word. We see that in James 1.18. We saw that we receive the word and, hit, and this saves us. James 1.21. We, we studied that. We also know in Romans chapter 10 verse 17. So then by faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we know we're saved by faith. And how do we know if we're saved? It's only a matter of time that fruit would bear or the desires change. It's no longer about you. It's about God and serving and worshiping him. And he leads you to do what he's called you to do. Which we refer to in the scripture as good works. But Abraham was justified by faith long before the offering of Isaac in Genesis 15, 6. But his obedience in offering Isaac demonstrates that he really did trust God. He really did. See, James understands 
and looked at this example as a perfect example for these Jewish believers. To understand to live by faith, not by sight. To live in obedience to God and not to self. To go, it will, it will test your faith. Do you really trust God when it comes to what he's called you to do? And here's Abraham was here at the point of really as he's matured and he's growing, he is going to demonstrate this because God says you're going to, you're going to sacrifice Isaac, you're going to take him up here. You're going to take the knife. You're going to, and God says, Abraham's like, okay, you're going to provide a sacrifice. Even his son said, Dad, do you have a, we don't have a sacrifice. God will provide. God will, I mean, even his son was demonstrated of the faith in God. And of course, the angel stopped him. Because God was testing him, are you willing to trust me? He was right at the point of cremating his own son. Many times people think about the fact that he was just going to kill him with a knife, right? But no, he was actually going to cremate him. He was on the altar. He was to then burn this, right? A lot of people get really squirrely around cremation versus burial. It's okay. God was about to just... You have Abraham cremate his son. But interesting, Paul would also point to Abraham as a proof that man is justified by faith apart from works, Romans 4.3. So it shows both you and I that James and Paul were used by the Holy Spirit to talk about both. Because why? Because he points the fact that Abraham was proof that man is justified by faith. It also says that it's, it's, it's in a full agreement that it both maintained that what's appropriate that Abraham simply believed God was the moment God imputed righteousness to him and it was then demonstrated in his life by asking him to sacrifice his son. Everything is in the full agreement. Many times people try to separate and go against it, but it's, it's not. Because you have both James and Paul talking about this and how this comes together. Faith and works cooperate perfectly together in the life of Abraham. If he never had believed God, he would have never sacrificed his son. Or at least moved in the direction to sacrifice his son. He would have never done the good work of obedience of what God would have called him to do because if he didn't believe God, he wouldn't have done it. See, works must accompany a genuine faith because genuine faith is always connected with regeneration, a changed life, a born-again experience, a new creation in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If there is no evidence of a new life in a person after they give their life to Jesus then they do not have a genuine saving faith. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. I love that quote. You know you're truly born again when you find yourself obeying God. We're not saved by obedience, but our obedience proves we're saved for true faith works. Now in verse 25 and 26, we see here, he gives an example also. Likewise, 
Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So he not only Abraham from the Old Testament, he gives Rahab. And I love this because God is using James to point out not only from a Jewish perspective, but he also uses Rahab, who is a what? A Gentile. A harlot, even that. So we see here this, this, this living faith that God can do in not only a Jew's life and change him, but also in a Gentile and change. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you had this upstanding, very rich Abraham lifestyle, or you come from a harlot and from the streets. It doesn't matter. God's faith, a genuine faith, a living faith can change a man and a woman life and it will not matter what your past is it doesn't matter your like I said your nationality or the color of your skin or what side of the tracks you're from if you're rich or for poor none of it matters and if God says it doesn't matter it should not matter to us It's that simple. Because God says, I died for all. Do you like that word? In this application, you sure do. (laughs) Don't you? In this example, I'm glad he died for all, because if he didn't die for all, I assure you it's probably me he didn't die for. You know, people struggle with that still today in their faith. Because they get wrapped up into this teaching that says God only selected certain people. I see the scripture says he died for all. I'm a simple kind of guy. I like to be simple. That doesn't mean all will choose to surrender their life to him. Whose responsibility is that? It's yours. It's mine. The question is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Do you realize when that happens, you're born again and you're saved? And that there's a changed life and you're compelled to be obedient to the word of God. That means you desire to read the word of God. How can you be obedient to something that you have no desire to even learn and even know? That's a good indication, is it not? Do you desire to read the Word of God? To know it and apply it to your life? Do you? Do you? Can you really say that you're honestly in your head? If you are, then you understand this living faith, this dynamic faith that James is writing about. Because we see even Rahab, this significant example, James is probably subtly, probably more subtle, more very direct, rebuking that partiality we talked about, that discrimination that was taking place, the people, how they were treating. He says, yeah, 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 you, you're, you're, you're a Jew and you got saved and you're all about Abraham, but what about Rahab? Would you help her? Would you help her? 
Would you give in time of need to her? That type, that harlot, the woman? Would you, give, would you go out of your way to help her in time of need? I bet you they were struggling with that and he called them all out on it. Because they had a harlot, Gentile woman coming into the, the fellowship and immediately they're like, there's something, no way. But the rich man, now dude, you come right off here. Sit right there next to me. James was calling him out. And he's calling them out here as well. A living faith treats everyone equally and willing to provide the needs for everyone who God has put in their heart to do that. Even a harlot, and he's rebuking these Jewish Christians against the coming against the Gentile believers starting to come into the church, and he was calling them out on it. He says, no, no, no. A living faith does not treat this person different because Rahab the harlot was also justified by works. No different than Abraham. How did she do that? Because she demonstrated her trust in the God of Israel by hiding the spies and seeking salvation from their God. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. She demonstrated a living faith. She believed the God of Israel. See, the lesson from Abraham is clear. If we believe in God, we will do what he tells us to do. We also know the lesson from Rahab is also clear. If we believe in God, we will help his people even when it costs us something. It'll cost us. That's our test. Because we don't like to, anything to cost us. Especially our time and convenience and comforts. These things, when that's tested, you know you're being tested. God's testing. Do you, do you really love me? Do you really want to serve me? Do you really have that relationship? You will be tested in those ways. James purposely put these two people together to show a complete package it doesn't matter who it is. Because as much as you can have a body with no life, that's called a corpse, so you can have a faith with no life. And a faith without works is dead faith. It's unable to save. It's so critically important for you to understand that you have to surrender all. You have to give it all over to him. Not just have the intellect, not have the intellect in some emotional aspect, but the whole person is involved. Justification is an important doctrine in the Bible. Just as if you've never sinned before, you've been justified by God. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. It is not a process, it's an act. It's not something the sinner does. It's something God does for the sinner when he trusts and surrenders his life to God. It's a once and for all event. And it never changes. So once you're saved, you're saved. 
It's not some process you'll work out. Yes, you'll work out your salvation. That means God's doing a sovereign work in you. But the act is complete. You've now been justified like you've never sinned before. Now live the life like you have, that you have been given. So the question is, how can you tell if a person is justified by faith? This transaction that takes place between the sinner and God privately? How do you know when you look at someone, you're talking to them, how do you know that they've been justified? This private moment between you and God that took place. How would you know if that person has been justified? Abraham's example answers it absolutely the correct way. Abraham's example answers that important question. The justified person has a changed life and obeys God's will. That's how you know. His living faith is demonstrated by God's given works. That's how you know if someone's saved. See, a living faith is based on God's word. And it involves the whole person. Again, dead faith touches only the intellect. Demonic faith involves the mind and the emotions. But the dynamic living faith involves the will of you. Your will. Are you willing to surrender your will for God's will? The whole person plays a part in the true saving faith. See, the mind understands the truth. The heart desires the truth. And the will acts upon the truth. See, dead faith, I know the truth, just not willing to to do it. I know the truth, and I desire I want to have this different changed life, but I'm not willing to, to change. That's the demonic faith. But when you know the truth, and your desire is to, desires this truth, Oh, I really want, I want that in my life. I, I need to change. But when you decide to surrender your will for God's will, that's the living, changing life that I'm talking about. That's when you will experience the regeneration, the born-again experience. And those who are saved, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you surrender your complete will to His. That's the changed life that James is talking about to them. True saving faith leads to action, my brothers and sisters. What kind of action is taking place in your life today? 